realized a couple of things this week. Actually, just realized something this morning. I let's see. I've, I've been here about two and a half months, give or take. And for some of you, it seemed like a whole lot longer than that. And for others, you say, "Wow." But, but I, I just want to let you know that you know I, every every week. I've tried to teach you something from the Bible that hopefully can help your life, and I've tried to apply it all along. And, and I don't know if that's rubbing off on you or not. I have no idea. But I do know that I'm noticing this morning, at least, there's, there's some red and black right here. There's some red and black over here. And I guarantee you, somebody else got red and black on. I'm, I, I, I'm rubbing off on you now. I know, I know and, and I won't make a whole lot of mention of the tough day that Kentucky had yesterday, but... I know Louisville didn't win Friday night either, but I just, I'm rubbing off on you. It's happening. The other thing I realized this week, in, in all honesty um, and joking aside, is that I, I realize a lot of things I just don't have a clue in. You ever, you ever just have that happen to you? And you just think, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And, and it, it hits me on a lot of different levels, and, and I won't give you all the things that I really don't have any clue what I'm doing with, but one of them I realize is, is with parenting. I just don't have a clue what I'm doing. And, and some of you, 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 maybe you see my kids, and you, every once in a while you see them. Maybe they act right, maybe they don't. Sometimes you think, well, yeah, that's right, you know. And, but I have great kids, and I love them, and I, I'm married to a great woman, and, and, and she does a wonderful job. And, and I just realize, though, I just don't have a clue what I'm doing. I mean, I'm honest with you. I'm not trying to be self-effacing and just you know, kind of get you to think, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I really don't. I just, it hit me this week. And, and maybe you've raised kids before, or maybe you've been around them, and, and, and you've either realized, I don't know what I'm doing, or, my goodness, those parents have no clue what they're doing, you know. And, but it, I tell you what, I, it, it, it hit me this week. Um, I was gone for a couple of days and, and got back and just, just kind of realized, man, I i got a long way to go, and, and my kids are young, and I'm thankful for that because maybe if I learn some of the things I need to learn, there's still hope. You know, i got a chance. But, but I, you know, I, I want you to know that, that if, if you're a parent and, and you, you've been there, maybe you say, you know what, I realized all along I didn't have any clue what I was doing, or you're a parent right now, and you just say, you know, my kids may be young, they may be growing up, they may be grown, but I still don't know what I'm doing. I, I just want you to know I'm there with you, and uh, and hopefully today as we kind of, finish up what we started last week, we'll be able to maybe be able to get our arms around just somewhere to start. And, and I, you know, it just, like I said, it hits me over and over how little I know about what I'm doing. And, and you know, it's interesting because when you, when you get married and, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're supposed to be an expert on marriage, I, I remember when Nancy and I first got married, we were asked to teach a young marriage class at our church. We've been married six months. And, you know, like a fool, I said, yeah, I'll do it, you know. I didn't have any idea about being married, and here I am trying to teach people how to be married. I didn't know what I was doing. And then, you know, you, you have kids. You're always an expert on kids till you have your own. And, and then you realize, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and so, you know, but, but all that stuff happens for the most part, typically. Okay, now I know different stories for, for different people, but typically it happens when you're young. Typically people get married sometime when they're young. They have kids sometime when they're young. I know why people try to have kids when they're young, because I certainly wouldn't want to be 10, 15 years down the road just now having kids. I couldn't imagine that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we just don't, you know, it, it's amazing. All of a sudden you, you have all this stuff, and you're somehow in your 20s or 30s, and you're supposed to know everything. It's just impossible. And, and I realize that many of us in here have raised children, and, and maybe you've, you've kind of already gotten them off, and, and everything's 
good now because they're gone. And, uh, but, but, uh, but anyway, um, I also realize this. As we talk about um, just the change that we really need in our homes, I want you to understand that, that I'm sensitive to the folks who, who maybe, maybe your home life has not been what you wanted it to be. Maybe you've had dreams and plans for your marriage and it didn't work. Uh, maybe you've had dreams and plans for what you always thought your home was going to be and it's not even close. Or maybe you've, you've, had, you've experienced the pain of, of losing a spouse or of losing a child. And, and I, I have to be honest with you, I, I don't know what that's like. And I, I'm not going to claim to understand that kind of pain because, um, because I don't. I know that God does and that God cares for you and that God loves you and His love is somehow amplified, it seems, even during those times. And, but I, I don't understand that. I, I want you to know my heart goes out to you and I love you and, and I, I have deep concern for that. Uh, it's not that I don't care. I just simply, I'm not going to try to insult you by telling you how much I understand what kind of pain that's like because I don't. Um, but, I, but I do know this, that regardless of where you are in your family stage, regardless of whether you're widowed or whether you've lost children or whether you never had kids and you always wanted to or, or whatever has happened, I, I know that, that based upon the Scripture and based upon what we can see, the hope for our future is children. And so I don't know where you are with children. I don't know if yours are still around or if yours are still young or if you don't have any. I, I don't know. But I, I hope that this morning... That, that we can at least kind of agree that, you know what, we've got to go after our kids, whether they're my biological children or not. We have got to be intentional about developing our, our kids to be spiritual champions. And, and so wherever you are, I, I want you to know that, that maybe as I talk about this, this may be very painful for you, and I, and I understand that. And yet at the same time, I hope that God will give you just a, a glimpse of what you can still do to invest in that next generation that's coming behind us. And so as we talk about it this morning, that's the, that's the goal. I want us, regardless of whether you're raising children or not, to get on the same page of moving forward with taking the responsibility to raise up all the kids that we're in contact with to be those spiritual champions that we, that we want to see. Last week we began this message, and to be fair to the Lord and fair to you, kind of hit me midway through that we, you know what, we probably ought to just stop where we were and let's continue it this week. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you see on the back of your bulletin what we went through last week, I went ahead and filled in for you. And there's a few more things, if you're following along with that, that you'll be able to, to complete today. And, and I hope you will. I was reading something earlier this week and it reinforced what, what, I, what I knew that Typically, we forget about 80% of what we don't write down or what we don't think about later on. And so I hope that maybe uh, you'll write something down today. Maybe it's a, a scripture reference. Maybe you fill in the blanks. Maybe it's just something that hits you. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see how we can, how we can do. I, my son, Hank, is three years old, and he's three and a half now. And many of you know, maybe you don't, but many of you know I played baseball in high school and college, and so baseball is something that I would love to be able to pass on to my son. Now, based upon the fact that I'm not real tall, and my wife is a whole lot shorter than I am, we're probably not going to have big kids. It's just probably not going to happen unless, you know, one of them is just some sort of freak of nature that grows so much taller than, you know, than his parents. So I realize that, that Hank is probably not going to be the biggest kid on the block. He's probably going to be, 
you know, short and, you know, kind of like his dad. And, you know, he's going to have to work hard to be whatever he, he wants to be. So baseball is probably the sport for him because I realized early on that, that I was way too short to play basketball. And, 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 uh, and, and in some senses, I guess, uh, if I can say it, way too white to play basketball. I was not uh, – I was, I was your typical little white guy who just could dribble, and that was all I could do. And so I always admired the guys who were the big, big, tall guys, the really fast guys, and I just thought, my goodness, I'm never going to be that. So I gave up basketball when I was about 14 because that's when I stopped growing, and, and so I thought, you know, I'm done. I'm just, I'm, I'll let the other guys, the big guys and the quick guys play basketball. And then football was something that my mom was always scared to death I was going to get hurt, so I've never put on a pair of shoulder pads. I've, I've never played a game of football in my life. And, and so – Football was not going to be it. So baseball was it. And my dad and I, we decided early on that if I'm going to make it in anything, it's going to be in baseball. And so with Hank, uh, I'm trying to do all the things for him that either were done that were really helpful or that weren't done that I think now, okay, I, I should have, somebody should have done that for me. One of them is that, that I've forced him, actually he just picked it up naturally, or I would have forced him, to hit left-handed. Now, some of you think, well, come on, what are we talking about this morning? Are you talking, you know, all right, let me, let, me, let, me, let me fill you in. For little guys playing baseball, okay, if you can hit left-handed, it's an advantage for you whether you're big or small, okay? So he, he hits left-handed because it's an extra, it's closer to first base, so if he's quick, he can beat, you know, maybe a ground ball out or something like that. Uh, plus, you face mostly right-handed pitchers. And so that kind of helps because you see the ball a little bit better from the left side of the play. Some of you are just bored of tears right now. I love it. I get to, I get to see your faces, and it's so funny every, every morning. Because some of you are just like, I think it's great. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I'm almost done, I promise. Anyway, anyway uh, left-handed, I was, that's where I was. And so, so he hits left-handed, and, but he throws right-handed. And now, now he's, he's tried to throw a little bit left-handed, and I forced him to throw right-handed. We say, well, what in the world difference does that make? Well, because he's going to be a little guy, he's probably not going to be one of those big, tall, left-handed pitchers you see on television that make all kinds of money. And so typically, if you're left-handed and you're a little guy, you play outfield. And if you, if you were an outfielder, I apologize, but outfielders in baseball typically are a dime a dozen. And he's not going to be tall enough to be a big, tall first baseman. And so I wanted him to be able to play, maybe, maybe be a catcher or a middle infielder or something like that. So right-handed. Now, I say all that. Uh, one, just to see the reaction on your face, because I think it's funny. But two, two to, to help you understand, you know what? He's three and a half years old, and you know what I've been focused on? Making sure he hits left-handed, throws right-handed. I mean, I'm telling you, I, it, he broke his right arm one time when he was about 18 months old. I wouldn't let him throw anything until he got the cast off, because I didn't want him to learn how to throw left-handed. Now, some of you think, man, you're just nuts, and maybe so. <laughs> But I guarantee you this, if we could, if we could go into your home or, or go back in time to when you were maybe raising your kids and the things that you were so concerned about them doing and making sure they got to do this and, and I got them in the right school and they're around the right friends and they play the right sport and they do all the things right. And I tell you what, as I mentioned last week, I don't see that stuff in the Bible at all. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that commands me to make my son hit left-handed and throw right-handed because he's going to be short and he needs to do that. I mean, there's nothing in there, but I'm serious about it. I'm passionate about making sure he does that. I mean, I guarantee if he broke his arm again, well, he, his left arm would be tied behind his back because he's not learning to throw that way. <laughs> but, you know, it's amazing to me how serious we can be about something like that, but the very thing that will secure them for all eternity and give them God's presence in their life here on earth, we sometimes aren't as serious about it. And I have to admit...
when I make when I make mention of the fact that I don't know what I'm doing as a parent, it comes down to the fact that I, I've been more concerned a lot of times with which way he bats and throws than his spiritual development. And I, and I don't know about you, but maybe you're the same way. And so as we look at the scripture today, I, I want us to receive both a, a convicting challenge, because that's what it's been for me, and some encouragement that we can get started somewhere. And we can make this thing happen. And we can raise our kids, whether they're in your home or not, we can raise our kids to be the spiritual champions that God wants them to be. And so last week we looked very briefly, or, or not very briefly, we're going to look very briefly today at a couple of the statistics that we saw last week. And so I just want to refresh your memory. Maybe you say, well, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I got my kids to church today. I mean, they're back there. They've got to be learning something. So how are our kids doing spiritually? And, and you'll see these things pop up on the screen behind you. I'm just going to give you three of the several things that we looked at last week. Uh, one of those is, is this. Of those kids, and I'm talking about kids 18 and younger, who say they are Christian, only 35% indicate that they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. 54% say they're moderately committed, and 10% say they're not committed at all, even though they claim to be Christian. Three-fourths three of, the, of the kids, 75% of the kids believe that a good person earns entry into heaven by doing enough good works. 75% also believe that people are born morally neutral and make a choice as to become good or bad. And they also believe that all of the sacred books from the different religion, religious traditions are merely different expressions of the same spiritual truths and principles. And that spiritual and moral truth can only be discovered through logic, human reason, and personal experience. 75% of our kids. One half, 50%, believe that Jesus committed sins while he was on earth. Now, I'm not saying that just because they may think that, well, they're a little bit young or naive and think, well, maybe Jesus did commit a sin or this or that. Maybe they, maybe they haven't learned that yet. But I want you to understand that, that this is shaping their view of the world and how they will operate toward God forever. And last week we looked at a couple of principles, some challenges and commands from God's Word. First of all, that parents are held responsible for the spiritual development of their children. You'll see that on your, on your outline. I've got that already there. Parents are held responsible, which means that it's not the schools, it's not a coach, it's not a Sunday school teacher, it's not the church that will one day stand before God on behalf of your children and give an explanation as to why you maybe did or did not raise your children to be spiritual champions. It's not the church that will do that. Now, I said that last week, and I want you to understand our church is here and happy and thrilled and excited and ready to partner with you as a parent to help your kids along. But we cannot be the replacement. And if we, if we attempt to be the replacement, then I believe we're in violation of the Scripture because God has given that to parents to be the, the leaders in developing their kids spiritually. And, and then secondly, we looked at if, if we love God and we love our children, we will teach them a biblical worldview. And I gave you a couple of definitions. I'll put these back on the screen. A biblical worldview is this. It's a means of interpreting and responding to reality that is consistent with God's ways as described for us in the Bible. That means that you know the Bible and you respond to every situation in life according to what the Bible would have you do. That's a biblical worldview. You see the world from God's eyes and respond accordingly. Now, as we looked at last week, the guy who did a lot of this research and came up with some of these definitions was a guy named George Barna. And he talked about the fact that not only should you develop in them a biblical worldview, but also develop them to be a spiritual champion. And that is this, an individual who has embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, 
who accepts the Bible as truth and as the guide for life, who seeks to live in obedience to its principles and in search of ways to continually deepen their relationship with God, who lives in ways that are noticeably different from the norm, even when compared to the average churchgoer. Now that sets the bar pretty high. And some of us then we think, wow, man, I tell you what, I'm just happy to get them to church. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you don't know my kids. I mean, they, they don't want anything to do with God. I mean, they, you know, our home is just crazy. Or, man, I, I'm just happy to be here myself on Sunday mornings and just happy to get them here. And maybe you get a little bit overwhelmed and you just feel like, I know that's what I ought to do, but, man, that's a lot. And I just, I don't even know where to start. And the, and the good news is this, is that you don't have to be perfect because none of us can be. Because the ultimate, the perfect father is God himself, and he simply uses us as his instruments. And so as a result, all we need to do is be available, be ready, be intentional, and yet rely on God for the spiritual development of our children. So we're going to partner with God in that. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're going for. We're not trying to be perfect parents, because if you do, you're going to fall flat on your face, and you're going to feel horrible most every single day. Because I would venture to say that if you are a parent, at some point in your parenting life, You've messed up. Now, I know you kids don't know that. You don't want them to know that. If your kids are in here, hold their ears because, you know, you, you've messed up. But at the same time, how many times have you been able, by the grace of God, just to get back up, keep moving forward, keep trying to raise your kids the best way, and, and God somehow uses all that and works it together and, and somehow brings about spiritual development in our kids. So last week we said, well, if you're feeling a little bit inadequate, Feeling a little bit overwhelmed, where can you start? And so we turn to the book of, of Deuteronomy. And if you've got your Bible open, uh, go ahead and turn back there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's way over in the Old Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible, don't let that stop you. Turn to the table of contents. You'll see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament. So turn there in chapter 6. And let's look at the scripture that we'll, we'll focus on today. In verse 4... Moses, who kind of lines up all the Israelites, and they're about to enter this promised land. They're about to go into this great thing that God had promised them, this land that they would inherit, that they would have for the, uh, for the remainder of their nationhood. And obviously we know that, that they've obeyed and disobeyed throughout the years, but this is what God had promised them. And so Moses given them some final instructions. He said, now, when you get there, don't forget this stuff, because if you do, then God's going to remove his blessing from you, and you're not going to get to experience all that God has for you, and it's, it's just not going to be what God has designed. And so this is kind of the beginning of some of the last things Moses is telling them. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And so we looked two weeks ago at the fact that if we're going to have the change we really need, it's going to have to start in our hearts. That we are going to have to love God with all that we are. It starts within us. And then last week we picked it up at verse 6. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts impress them or teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God quickly follows the command to love God with all you are with the command to impress those things on your children. And so we looked at last week at one starting point is to view parenting as your primary job. Whether you have children right now at home or whether you're around kids, I would take the view that I am the parent for that particular part of time, part of life, and that's my primary role. And why should you do that? First of all, because God does. 
God views parenting as your primary role if you are a parent. He, he follows it. He doesn't say immediately after loving God with all that you are, get your kids into the right school. He doesn't say make sure that they hit left-handed and throw right-handed. He doesn't say take them to church every Sunday because those people know what they're doing and they can fix your kid. He says in verse 7, impress them, those commandments, on your children. So parenting is the primary role. And so this week I want us to kind of finish this out and look at how that can continue to play out. So as you follow along there on your bulletin, view parenting as your primary role and then also use the right tools. Use the right tools. You ever done a job and not had the right tools for it? One of the things I don't have a clue about is construction. I can't build anything. You want something built, don't call me because I'm going to refer you to somebody else because I can't do it. I'll come over and hold something for you. But I'll be honest with you. You give me all the right tools in the world, and I may be able to get there. The truth is this, that the way that, that we are to work as far as raising kids is to have the right tools in our hands because we can do the job according to the power of God. We can do it. So what are the right tools? First of all, it's the Bible. I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. You may say, well, oh, good grief. You know, that's pretty obvious. Absolutely. It's not hard. Pretty obvious. Verse 6 talks about this. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. The commands were found in the Bible. The first five books of the Bible is basically all they had at this point. And so the commands were found. That's the starting place. Let me tell you a couple of things about, uh, about the, the Bible that I would, would suggest to you. <clears throat> first of all, if you don't have one and cannot get one, please come and talk to me after the service and I'll make sure you get one. We'll, we'll find you one somewhere. We'll go out and buy you one. It doesn't matter. We'll make sure you get a copy of God's Word in your hand. If you have one, and it's not a very readable version to you, what I mean by that is you just say, I, 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 these words, this language just doesn't, it, I don't know what that said at all. There are different translations of the Bible that some folks can read and other folks maybe struggle with. I know some of you probably were raised on the King James Version of the Bible. I have no problem with the King James Version of the Bible. I want you to understand that. If that's your readable version, if that's the one you use, go for it. That's great. For other folks, you may say, you know, I, I just, that uh, just doesn't, it's not really making sense to me. Those words are kind of too tough, and <laughs> I understand that. Sometimes that's the case. There are a couple of other versions that I may recommend. Uh, one would be a new, called the New American Standard. The NASB is the, the initials for that. It's uh, similar in, in its structure to the King James, but with a little bit different wording. Uh, another would be the New International Version, the NIV. That's the one that I'm reading from this morning. Some of you may have that one. Another one would be uh, the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, much like the King James, only with uh, kind of a stately language, but with, with the these and thous and that kind of stuff kind of taken out and some other words replaced. W whatever you're going to use, I would make sure that you get something that's readable. Now, let me tell you uh, some that, that I would say are probably not your primary translation for everyday use and for really trying to understand the core of what God's Word means. One would be the message. Maybe you've heard of the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. Excellent help after you've read the Bible a little bit to kind of help you, okay, well, what would that sound like in kind of story form? And so the message, though, would not be one that I would depend on every single day. Uh, and in fact, the author of the message would tell you that as well. I, I, I've read his stuff before, too. Another one that, that I would say is probably more paraphrased than it is literal would be the New Living Translation. Some of you may have that, but I would, if, if you have that, I would partner that with another translation as well. Maybe the New American Standard, maybe the NIV, and kind of read both side by side. I say all that because a lot of times we don't know what to do with the Bible or what we're supposed to kind of have in our hands. And so for some of you, that's a lesson that you've heard long ago and you don't need that. But for others, maybe that's helpful. 
So get a version of the Bible that, that you can read and you enjoy digging into and you want to sit down and read it. God didn't write the Bible for you to be frustrated with it. He didn't. He wrote it for you to be able to understand it. And so uh, and the great thing is that once the printing press was invented and, and we finally realized that we don't have to have somebody explain it to us all the time, it's personal. And God really wants you to, to dig into it. So the first tool you need in your hand is a Bible because it's a foundation for all of our knowledge and our decisions and so on. Secondly is a, is a, a, a knowledge of the Bible. But a, 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 not only having a Bible, but a knowledge of the Bible. And, and here's what I mean by that. Think about this. If your children, if the children you come in contact with are to have this biblical worldview to where they can look at a situation and operate according to biblical principles, the one thing they're going to have to have in their mind and in their heart is the knowledge of those biblical principles. The way that you get the knowledge of those biblical principles is by not just having the Bible, but actually reading it and ingesting it, memorizing it, meditating on it, letting it become part of who you are. You ever seen somebody who, for whatever reason, they've always got some reference to Scripture for every situation they encounter? I mean, maybe uh, those people are few and far between a lot of times, but for some reason they just, they come up with something. You say, how did you know how to make that sort of decision? I mean, that seemed to work out. Well, I just kind of went back to the book of Proverbs, and it says this, right? I remember the story of, you know, of David in the Bible, and he just, he kind of operated according to this principle, and I just thought, well, if that's in there, maybe I ought to try it. And that's available to everybody. And that's the sort of worldview and operating standard we want our kids to have and God has commanded us to pass on to them. And so if, if we're going to, we need the Bible in our hands. We also need a, a knowledge of the Bible that goes further than just, yeah, I've read that before. It goes deep into our minds and deep into our hearts. And so we've got the Bible. We've got the knowledge of the Bible. And, and the third tool that we need in our hands is a consuming desire to obey God. A consuming desire to obey God. Verse 6 says, These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. There's something about when you have something in your heart that it just consumes you. It, it takes over who you are. And that's the desire that we need in our hearts to obey God. It takes us over. Your kids, obviously, and the kids that are around you, will obviously learn more from what you do than what you say and what you preach at them. And it hits me over and over, especially, I think, with Hank, because he's a, he's a boy and, and I'm his daddy, and, and Nancy was trying to get him dressed this morning, and, and he, I, it was something about the button on his shirt and the way that I uh, wear a, a, a golf shirt with the, you know, with the three buttons on it. I don't button the top button. Well, he, Nancy was trying to button the top button. Well, Daddy doesn't button the top button, and, you know, and he's just... I mean, it's simple stuff like that, but he pays attention. Nancy said, this little boy watches everything you do. And I'm going to tell you, coming here to preach this message, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was in the other room, and it just stopped me for just a second. I thought, my goodness. A consuming desire to obey God. What if Hank picked that up for me? And what if my kids picked up this over... I mean, everything I do is meant to please God. And that's my one pursuit in life. What if, what if that were the case, and what if they picked that up for me? I mean, and that's what I'm going for. And that's why I tell you, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's not my consuming desire. You been there? But sometimes I'm consumed by other things. Consumed by a desire to make financial ends meet. Consumed by a desire to advance in this or that. To get better at this. I mean, and, and how often, how seldom am I consumed by a desire to obey God? 
He said those commands are to be upon your hearts because He knows, God knows that what, what we do reflects what's in our hearts. And so as you raise your kids, raise them setting the example of having that consuming desire that just eats you up, that desire to obey God in all you do. And watch it rub off on them and see what happens. And encourage them when they do well. When they obey God, encourage them. When they obey you, encourage them. And use those tools that we talked about, the Bible, the knowledge of the Bible, and that consuming desire you have to answer some very important spiritual questions for them when they arise. Who is God? What does He want from me? Does God really exist? What's this whole story about Jesus? Use those things that you have made a part of your life because the truth is it starts with you. And it starts with me. And then thirdly, not only to view parenting as your primary job, to use the right tools, but help your kids experience and grow in their faith in tangible, practical ways. Tangible, practical ways. The word tangible obviously means just something you get your hands around. Practical means something you can go and do in life and, and, and you can see it happening. Because if all we do is just fill their heads with knowledge, we're not really obeying the command to teach those things that are in our hearts to our kids. Verses 7 through 9 say this, Impress them, those commands, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It just talks about things that you'll notice and see and do every single day. That's what this refers to. And so those tangible, practical ways can include lots of stuff. Behavior modeling, as we talked about. Formal instruction, you're teaching them something. Uh, maybe, maybe challenging them to read, getting them involved in something like that. Maybe for some of your kids, if they're old enough and maybe interested, keeping a spiritual diary. Just writing down some of the things God's teaching them and doing in their life. If you've never done that, I would encourage you to, to start and just see what that's like. I've done that in the past, and, and the times when I've do, done that, I've really seen God grow me, and just I can look back and say, man, I remember when this was going on, I wrote it down. Uh, maybe, maybe you would share with them your personal experiences of how I dealt with this, but God gave me victory over it, and He moved me forward. These are the things that God has developed in me. Maybe uh, using discipline, setting some parameters up in their life so that they'll know that God has some some commands and decrees and, and, and laws that he wants you to follow. and It's just everyday stuff. So talk to them. Listen to them. And, and then give them ways they can take ownership for their faith. You may say, well, how do I do that? Well, I would encourage you to, to get creative. Get creative on how you do it. I mean, how creative is it for our kids to be able to get involved with something like this, and they maybe went shopping with you, or maybe they packed it, and, and they, they brought their box today, and they come down front today in the service. It's, it's it's not because we just want to see our kids up front and we can all smile and how cute they are. Because what difference does that make? But the reason we want them to bring them down here and stand around down front is so they'll have some part in what's going on. It's a tangible way. And you think, well, that's not very creative. I, mean, I don't know. We just tried it. But I guarantee you a lot of those kids will remember bringing that box and praying for it and we had our kids this morning. We just, and Hank said a little prayer for the boy that will receive his box. And we just said, you know, let's just try it. Let's just do some tangible little things. What is it in your life that's tangible and creative that you can get your kids to do? I don't know. Maybe you've got a neighbor who needs their leaves raked. And maybe your kids like mine would just make more of a mess and they clean up. But at least they can go and do something for somebody else. 
Maybe you've got some way that you can go on a, on a small little trip, maybe even an overseas mission trip. If you're, if you're financially able, if you've got the connection, we'll be happy to try to help you figure out who's doing that kind of stuff and put you in contact with those kind of people. But maybe, see, we, as a family, we like to do that. Maybe those are some tangible, practical, creative ways for you to, to help your kids experience and grow in their faith. And, and, and understand this, that as I said before, that your kids will often mimic whatever you do. So if as a family you're doing things that are tangible to express your faith in Jesus, they're likely to take hold of that and do it. And let them lead when you get creative. Listen to them. It, it, last year when we lived in, in Atlanta, Lake Alatuna, which is real close to where we lived, was drying up. We were in the middle of a hundred-year drought. And I know that around here this summer wasn't, wasn't kind to our farmers and all that. And so I, I kind of lived through that down there, and then we moved here and brought it with us. And so, but Lucy uh, wanted, wanted to help save the lake because occasionally we would drive over the lake, just a small little bridge there we'd drive over. And she wanted to save the lake. Now, she didn't understand how much it was going to take, but here was her idea. She said, Daddy, she was four years old this time. She said, Daddy, here's what we need to do. She said, so we need to go to Walmart. You know, you can get everything at Walmart. She said, you need to go to Walmart and buy some water bottles, hundreds of them. And let's take them out there and pour them in the lake, save the lake. And I said, you know, that's a pretty good idea. And, but we didn't do that. And so, <laughs> thought, you know, anyway, we, but, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes when your kids come up with something, if you take the lead with it, hear from their heart, let them lead, let them go, it'll be amazing. There are so many stories, and I don't have time to get into them all, so I won't even attempt to, but there are so many stories I've heard of kids when they're eight, nine years old doing something absolutely incredible for the Lord. And, and they continue it, and then when they're teenagers, they're out. I mean, it's just amazing what they can do. Listen to them. Let them lead. Get creative with it. And then as you look for those tangible, practical ways to help them experience and grow in their faith, know what you're looking for. Know what you're looking for. I'm going to overwhelm you with a slide on the screen. It's going to have all kinds of stuff, what we're looking for spiritually. Don't feel like you've got to write them all down. But check this out. Here's some of the things that you're looking for. What is spiritual maturity? What does a spiritual champion look like? How do they live? And check it out. What to look for. There we go. Humility, patience, kindness to all people, not just the ones they like. Thinking first of the needs of others. It's a big-time deal in our house right now. Big-time deal. With a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Everything's mine. They're content and they're generous. That's hard for some of us. They love and they enjoy life. I should say love and enjoy, enjoyment. They, they talk about Jesus. They're obedient to, their, to God and their parents. They have an expressed desire to be more like Jesus. It means they talk about it. You see something, they desire to be more like Him. They forgive and they make peace. They take ownership for their prayer life. Right now we're, as we pray with our kids, they kind of repeat it after us. And it was cool to see this morning, though, Hank kind of take the initiative to say a prayer. And that's one of the marks of spiritual maturity in children. They have a growing interest in the Bible. They do what's right even when they don't have to. That means they know dad's not watching, there's no spanking coming if they don't do what's right, but they do what's right anyway. They take the initiative to help those in need. They desire, uh, 
They desire um, action relating, and they desire in, in complete action relating to sharing their faith. They tell the truth. They're broken over their sin. I mean, these things are, are what we would say, man, that, that's where I want to be. Well, sure. That's where I want to be, too. And I guarantee you that's where I want my kids to be. And so know what you're looking for. Find those things. Look for them. Are your kids doing that? Are the kids that we have here at church, are they producing that kind of fruit in their lives? And then finally, rely heavily on God. Rely heavily on God. We can talk about all this and leave and feel challenged and maybe, all right, I've got some stuff I can go and do and I think I can get started with this. Maybe I can do it. And if we leave feeling like, I'm going to go make this happen, you leave, you leave largely unprepared to go make it happen because the truth is that you cannot save your kids for eternity. The truth is that you cannot bring about change in their hearts. You can simply be a tool that God uses to do that. But God will be the one who produces the change in them. And if we don't rely heavily on Him, then we are going to find ourselves not raising spiritual champions, but simply kids who do the right thing while we're looking, and then go off and do whatever they want while we're not, because we have not involved God in the process. How do you rely heavily on God? You've got to spend time in prayer. Prayer relating to parenting. Take every need you've got as a parent, grandparent, whatever it is, before the Lord. Talk to Him about it. Get His insight on it. I would also encourage you to do parenting-specific Bible study. Look for verses in the Bible. Go to your concordance in the back. Ask me to, to provide you. I've got a big, thick concordance. I'll show you how to use it. Verses on parenting. How can I raise my kids according to the Bible? And then maybe one that we overlook. Get some help from other people. There are people in this church who have raised spiritual champions. There are people who have done it. There are people who would say, I, I, well, I don't really want to talk about it, but you know they've got some wisdom. And they're humble enough to, to know they didn't produce the change, but, but wise enough to know, let me pass that on to somebody else. Maybe there's a book that you'd pick up at the bookstore. Maybe there's a friend you have. Maybe there's a mentor in your life that would help you to raise your kids the right way. Rely heavily on God. Just to kind of sum it up, the truth is this. We can bark about the change we want to see in our country. The things we want to see our politicians do and all the stuff that we'd change if we were there, but the change we really need in our country begins and ends with the change that we need in our homes. Because if our homes are strong, our churches will be strong, our government will be strong, and our country will be strong. And ultimately, if we raise spiritual champions, we'll get to be with them forever in heaven because the truth is this, that unless my children receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and commit their lives to Him. And I won't see them in heaven unless they do that. And so, if there ever was a, a motivation you needed, if there ever was, well, okay, that sounds great, but I'm not real sure, think about it that way. That your kids, my kids, will spend eternity in hell apart from God unless, unless they receive Jesus as their Savior and commit their lives to Him. And so, where does that leave you today? I'd like to do this and, and not to put any obligation on you to participate, but I'd like to do this. I'd like to close our time 
this morning by simply having a, a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll close with a, with a hymn at the end. But I'd like to do this. I'd like to have a, a time of prayer for those who are currently raising children or around children on a regular basis. Because I know that, that it's a tough job. And if you're like me, you don't have any clue what you're doing. And so we need God involved with what we're doing as parents and grandparents and teachers and so on. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask those who maybe are parents or work around kids on a regular basis just to join me down here. And I'm not going to make you pray out loud or do anything crazy or anything like that. I just want to spend a moment and pray over you. And, and maybe during that time, if, if, if you're a grandparent or, 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 or a friend of somebody, you just say, let me, let me just come down. I'm going to spend a moment and pray for you, and then, then I'll close this. I encourage you to do that, too. And I realize that not everybody will come down front. Please don't feel obligated. I'm not going to call you out and wait for everybody to get here, and I'm not going to do that. But if, if you just say, you know what, I, I want to raise spiritual champions. That's what I want to do, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be bold enough this morning just to get up and, and, and come down front, and we'll, we'll pray about it. And, and, and then maybe, maybe you'd say, you know, I look at my own life, and I just realize I'm, I'm not what I want my kids to be. I mean, I really want my kids to be those spiritual champions you're talking about, but I know I'm not. Maybe, maybe there's some things that in your life you just need to get right with God. You spend some time praying about that. Or, or maybe you say, I, I've never... I, you talk about spending eternity apart from God in hell. I, you know, I don't know if I'm going there, if I'm going to heaven. I don't have any idea. What, how do I know? I, I'd be happy to try to talk with you and help you understand a little bit. Or maybe you've decided that this is the place that you'd like to make your home. Elm Grove Baptist Church would be the place you call home. You'd like to join this church. We'd be happy to to assist you in, in getting involved and helping you know what it means to be a member here. Or maybe you say, I've never been baptized, but I know I know Jesus and I want to follow Him. And maybe you'd be obedient to Him in baptism. Whatever your decision is today, I'd encourage you to, to respond to God however He's calling you. And so, in just a moment, as I said, we'll, we'll, Jan will just kind of play something and we'll, we'll kind of gather down here. And if you're a parent of of a child or a grandparent or, or work around kids and you just say, you know what, I, I just want God's blessing on my life as we leave here, we're going to ask for that this morning. We're going to ask for God to give us wisdom and strength and encouragement and help. So receive the challenge today, but also receive the encouragement. You can be that instrument that God wants you to be. And you can trust Him because He's going to bring about the change. It's His responsibility. And yet He wants to use us as a tool. So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes if you are a parent or whatever and you'd like to, to come down. If you would, just gather here and then I'm, going to, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll go back to our seats and we'll have a, a closing hymn, all right? take just a moment and just kind of pray for the children that are on your mind and on your hearts. Pray for them and then I will, will close us together. So take just a moment and spend some time with the Lord.
God, in your word, you say that children are a gift from God. Lord, we know that we have to admit to you, sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes it's hard. And so, God, we pray that even in this moment for the parents that are struggling, for the grandparents who are seeing their kids struggle, or for the folks who may look back and have regrets, God, we pray that, that you would immediately in this moment encourage us, lift our hearts, fill us with your grace and mercy. God, we thank you that there's no condemnation, no shame, no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we we know that even as parents who have made mistakes, God, we can live in guilt and shame. And we thank you that you've removed that from us. We thank you for our children, for our grandchildren, for for the kids we get to be around on a regular basis. We thank you for them. And we pray that you would make us the tools in your hand that are ready and able to help shape these spiritual champions you want to grow. God, fill us with a consuming desire to obey you, to set the example for the kids in our lives. Fill us, Lord, with the knowledge of your word. Help us to operate with that as our basis. Thank you that you care more about our kids than we do and that you are ultimately the best father they'll ever have. So, God, we pray for their hearts. God, we pray that the kids who are young would come to know you at an early age that they would serve you all the days of their lives. God, we know that no person is beyond your grace, and so even for the kids who may seem a little bit older and past the time where they might give their life to you, or even the kids that are running from you right now, God, we pray that you'd interrupt their lives. We pray, Lord, that you would make their lives in a, in a way, make them miserable without you, but set their sights on you, knowing that you are the only hope that they have. And we pray for the kids who, who maybe are not here with us today. Maybe they're with someone else. Maybe we share custody. Maybe we don't have them. We pray that you would give us the encouragement during the time that we're around them to love them in the name of Jesus. We pray that you'd protect them from negative influences. God, that you would make them dangerous around those negative influences, that your spirit would so fill them. And when they encounter darkness in the world, that they would bring light to it. Please help them make wise decisions. Set their feet on solid ground. God, may you fill up their lives in a way that we know that without you, that it's impossible. God, as we look at our task as parents and as a church of raising children to be spiritual champions, we know that without you, that we will certainly fail. So God, may we come back to you each and every day. Encourage us, love us, convict us when you need to. God, help us. Help us to raise spiritual champions. We give our children to you. We lay them at your feet. We ask you to bless them, to keep your hand on them. And I pray for each parent that's here. Love them today. Encourage them. Bless them. In Jesus' name we pray.